Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Hello and welcome to Series 5, Episode 9 of Out with Susie Ruffle. I hope that this finds you well. I hope that you've had a nice bank holiday weekend if you're listening to it on the day that it goes out. I have. I've managed to get some sun and do some nice things with family and friends, which was very welcome and I didn't work too much, so that's really nice as well. So I hope that you've had an equally lovely time. As ever, we received lovely messages from last week's episode with Joe Black. I just loved that conversation and it seemed that lots of you did too. So thank you so much if you listened or if you got in touch or if you tweeted or Instagrammed about it. It's I really, really appreciate it. Also remember the um, Apple app is very useful. So if you've got time to like and subscribe and maybe give it a five star rating, that would be really great. Uh, also, I've had some really nice little plugs this week. We're podcast of the week in The Times, which is great. Um, for a big broadsheet newspaper to shine a light on an LGBTQIA plus podcast. And so I'm really thrilled about that. And also we're a pride power. I don't think it's pride power. We're some sort of pride podcast for Spotify. Some people have sent me the links. I couldn't find it myself, but um, there's I've seen screen grabs of people saying that we're we've been picked by Spotify as something to listen to over Pride Month. So maybe you're a new listener because you heard about it from that. So hello you if you are. As always, I will share an email. I'm actually just going to share one this week because it's a longer one and also the interview with marvellous Hannah Bardell is quite a long one this week. So I want to make sure that we still fit into your commute or your walk. I don't know where you're listening to this now. It might be that you're, you know, you're not in lockdown now so you might not be doing it with walks but you might be still working from home or you might have flexi working like so many people do with proper jobs and so it hopefully will just fit into your to your little pocket of the day that you set aside for out um, I really loved the conversation I had with Hannah Bardell really inspired by her I absolutely love her she's sort of become a mate which I love um, over the last couple of years and she's Oh, I just think she's brilliant. Uh, if you don't follow her on Instagram, have a look because she routinely takes politicians to task in the House of Commons. And I always agree with her and she has so much to say and she is a voice in politics that is so welcome and I wish that I could vote for her and I wish that she was my MP. But here we are. Okay, um, if you want to get in touch with me, you always can. As you know, I'm on Twitter, but I'm never on there. I hate the place. I am on Instagram. You might find me on there um, at, at Susie Ruffle Comedy. But the best way to get in touch with me always is the email. Hello at with Do get in touch. Okay, 
let's have this email. Dear Susie, I've only recently discovered your podcast and I'm glad that I did. I have found something that resonates with me in my journey on practically every episode. The way in which you and your guests speak so candidly and honestly about various experiences in life gives me, and I have no doubt many others, hope and a realisation that we are not alone. My coming out journey has not been the smoothest by any stretch of the imagination. Like so many others, I think that I realised fairly early on that I fancied girls, women, but I just put it down to the fact that I had a deep admiration for these people rather than an attraction. I had a lovely upbringing, but with very conservative and sheltered parents. We lived in a small village where everyone was white and heterosexual. I remember quite early on when a lesbian character appeared in a well-known soap, the slurs that came out of my parents' mouths. I knew then that should I ever find myself in a position where I had to admit my true self to them it would be met with sadness anger and disappointment no person however young or old should ever have to face this fast forward a few years and after a few short-term relationships with men I found myself attracted to and subsequently having a fling with a woman I worked with I was 17 she was older and married to a man if I had to label my sexuality at this point I would have said I identified as bisexual My parents found out about this and what followed was what I can only describe as a hugely emotionally charged and heartbreaking conversation where I realised there was one huge part of me my parents could never accept. So this led me to trying to suppress my sexuality. Shortly after this, I met and had a relationship with a man for nearly two years. When our relationship ended, I was broken, a complete mess. As part of my healing, I decided to start playing football again, a sport I loved and had taken me throughout my childhood. It was here that I met and started hanging out with a set of new friends, and the vast majority of whom were lesbians. Soon after, I started a relationship with one of my teammates. She was gorgeous and I was smitten. However, these feelings were marred by the fact that I knew how my parents felt. I knew I could never be truly happy knowing how disappointed and sad I'd made them. Needless to say, that relationship didn't last. I was 21 and still being dictated to and held ransom by my parents. She was out and free to do whatever, so it was never going to work. It was at that point that I realised my bisexuality had now swung completely and I was, in fact, gay. My sexuality has never been discussed with any of my extended family. I have felt forced to remain in because of my parents' feelings and beliefs. To most people, I'm a spinster in her late 30s. No one knows where I live or anything about my life. I have, in fact, been in a relationship with my lovely wife for 15 years and we've been married for nine of those years. We have a beautiful home and she has two children from a previous marriage, aged 19 and 16. I feel like I have two lives. My parents have never set foot in our home and have never met my wife or even said hello to her. I essentially have my true life here in our home and my other life when I see my family and pretend to anyone that doesn't know that I'm loving the single life and focusing on my career. It's mentally and emotionally draining. I have wasted so much time over the years feeling nothing but rejection, shame and guilt. These feelings have almost cost us our relationship on several occasions and I am so thankful that my wife and I have navigated our way through and come out the other side. Although the emotional scars remain, they are fading. I still have a relationship with my parents and I do now speak more often and more openly about my wife, about the things that we are doing, places we are going, etc. I feel they are more receptive and engaging when I speak about us, which is far healthier than it was a few years ago. However, I don't think they will ever meet and this is something my wife and I have had to try and find peace with. Anyway, I could go on writing, but I'll finish the email here. I had a feeling that writing this would be a cathartic experience, and it definitely was. Thank you for your awesome podcast. It really does make a huge difference knowing that you're not alone and what has been a truly shitty journey in places. All the best. 
and that has been asked to keep anonymous. I was so moved by this email and I really wanted to share it because I wondered whether others that listen to the podcast might be in similar situations and might find some solace in knowing that others um, are going through a similar experience. You mentioned how mentally and emotionally draining it is. Oh my God, I can't imagine. It must be such a weight to carry around. And the fact that, you know, you and your wife have got through it is a testament and indeed an inspiration. Um, So yeah, incredible, incredible that you've done that. Um, I'm sorry that it's been so rough and I'm so pleased that this podcast has, I don't know, has has showed you that there are so many other people like us and that you are in this community and that your experience is valid and that you're wanted here. That goes to every single person that's listening, whether you're part of the queer community or if you're an ally, you're very welcome here. And I really appreciate you guys tuning in every week to listen to this podcast that I make in a cupboard in my flat. Okay. I didn't interview Hannah Bardell in a cupboard because I think that would seem weird if I'd invited an MP over to a cupboard. We went to a studio where we got to sit face to face and have a conversation. I really, really loved this chat. I hope that lots of you do too. If you want to get in touch, as I mentioned before, the email is hello at withsusieruffle.com. Let's listen to that conversation now with the fantastic Hannah Bardell. We talk a lot on this show about trying to improve the world. Well, today I'm talking to someone who spends her life encouraging positive change. Today is a first for the podcast, a sitting MP. Hannah Bardell is a member of Parliament for Livingston and is a member of the Scottish National Party. She has had her seat on the House of Commons since 2015 and regularly takes the Prime Minister and the Conservative government to task for their handling, or rather mishandling, of everything. Discussions about Partygate, the misuse of taxpayers' money, the cost of living crisis, the double standards that we constantly see across government. Hannah is there fighting always for her constituents. She's so good, I've considered moving to Livingston. She's an inspiration and I'm absolutely delighted she's here today. Oh, wow, what an introduction. (laughs) Well, it's all true, isn't it, mate? You post those videos of you going after Boris and I fucking love it. (laughs) And and I enjoy it, you know, that there is that aspect of you know, getting to stick it to them. I mean, mm. it's, a, it's a, a lot of it's theatre, as we were, sure. we were just saying in our in our pre-chat. But, you know, at the end of the day, the reason I got into politics was because I genuinely believe that politics is the art of the possible, that you can change things for the better mm-hmm. and you can represent your community. And I'm fortunate to be one of the MPs that represents the area where I grew up. And yeah. that doesn't make you a better MP. It's just, it can be a different experience. But yeah, I love that about it. It happens a lot that people aren't from where. They, yeah, and that can be for different reasons. Yeah, they've maybe moved, you yeah. know, they've moved for family or work. Sometimes people are parachuted in, as they say. Yeah, right. And that, that often can you know, piss people off. Yeah, um, understandably. But yeah, I'm in, in the very fortunate position that I grew up in Livingston and my family are largely from that area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's funny because sometimes I'll get emails from people or my team will be like, oh, we've got an email or a call from this person. Do you remember this person from school or work? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was at school with them, you know. And so folk who come to see you are people that you, you know, from your community, people that you you know yeah. in perhaps a, a previous life. So, I mean, you know how the podcast works. You've listened to it before. Yeah. Honey sent me a very nice message about it, but... I've got an idea of what you do all day, of what your life looks like. Because you were saying before, like, it's like going into the House of Commons is like 5% of what you do. Yeah. And so you'll hold, you call them surgeries, don't Advice you? Advice surgeries, yeah. 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 
um, where people will come in and bring you, like, can it be any problem that they Anything. have? Anything. You never know. And that's one of the amazing things about it. Is right. That, you know, we will largely deal with things that are discussed and debated and legislated sure. on at Westminster. So immigration issues. Like yep. at the moment, lots of people can't get their passports to go on holiday. Yeah, sure. The issue with that, you know, welfare. But yeah, folk will come with anything and everything. And that's what makes it really interesting because you never know. Sometimes people come through my door and come to my surgery and I'm like, wow, I have no idea how I'm going to fix this. And most Can you of give time, me an example? Obviously, without you know protecting that person's identity, but um, yeah, I mean, I can give you five million examples. <laughs> yeah, but, I bet. Um, but but I, I think most recently we had a situation where a block of flats had gone on fire, and it was devastating. And I was there the next day, and it was actually in the part of the constituency called Craig's Hill where I grew up. Yeah, and my we literally moved my mum out of the house that she'd lived in last summer for like 32 years so it was really close to my heart and a fire ripped through the middle of the block there was all these people without housing without it you know had lost everything or couldn't even get into their flats and and the scale of it was so huge that you know we, my team and I turned up the next day and you just think oh my goodness where are we going to start and yeah. there's lots of agencies in place but people were just so traumatized yeah, and of and it was, I had dealt with sort of similar things in the past, but, you know, you're sort of hit with people in their a very raw and, and desperate state. And there was one family who had lost a baby as well just not long before. And so, and you know, you just think, oh my goodness, I just want to, you know, give you a big hug and just take you home. Take you home, exactly. So I think that was definitely, definitely one. And we've had folk... Um, we had a company shut down a few days before Christmas um, about four years ago and the people who owned the company behaved appallingly they didn't give the staff their pay and I remember sitting around the table with the local council chief exec and he was like well we can send them to the food bank and there's this other charity I'm like yeah but these people don't have any money for Christmas they can't pay their bills they can't buy anything like what and I phoned up somebody else from the council the next morning and was like like I'm really not happy about this there's all these people want to give we just need a community centre and she got us the keys to a community centre and within 24 hours the women particularly from this local Facebook group had just rallied round and had got like vouchers and food oh. and donations and it was just the most incredible thing but you're sat there with the scale of something of you know literally hundreds of people out of work with potentially no money before Christmas and it, it was all about just you know, facilitating things and bringing people together, but you that know, sounds like community. I was about yeah. to say that it sounds like where you represent is a, a place that's full of community spirit. Yeah, is that is that safe to say? I think that's very safe to say, and I think you would find that in most places actually across the UK. Do you know what? I think you're so right, and it's one of the reasons I'm really excited about moving actually, because I think that unfortunately, in the area I'm in in London. My block of flats is very nice and I know a few of my neighbours, but there's not much of a community spirit. Mm. And I don't know whether that's a London thing or whether because, you know, people are often moving through London or they stay for a bit and they don't sort of, you know, they set down roots and it's so expensive and da 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 da. But I, I, I know someone that lives on the road that we're about to move onto and uh, she was like, oh, it's great. I know everyone on the road. And I was like, oh my God, I can't wait for that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And I... I 
And I think in times like these, when there is so much conflict mm. and so much trauma, mm. that actually, you know, people sometimes do turn in on themselves and away from people who might be different mm. and having a community in whatever form and having people um, that what you can turn to for support, particularly during the pandemic, has become increasingly important mm. and I think people have realised the value of, of community. For sure. And that's really, I think that's really important. I think you're right. How was it being an MP during COVID? I mean, it was really odd in that a number of things happened. I mean, we had obviously... Before COVID, we had had an election at the yes. end of 2019. Yes. So I got elected in 2015. We had another election in 2017. We had another election in 2019. You've really had to prove yourself, haven't you, without getting on with the job. You have to exactly. do a lot of knocking on doors and saying, hi, I'm Hannah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Which, you know, is, is a big part of it and can be great fun. But yeah, there was no sort of, usually you're in for five years yeah. and then there's another election. So we had, you know, three within the space of whatever, four and a half years. Do you reckon there's going to be another one soon? Who knows? Who knows? I, it, it's so unpredictable. So I've now learned to expect the unexpected and just be ready to launch an election at, at a moment's notice. But yeah. yeah, I mean, it was we'd gone from Brexit, which was so chaotic, and it, tore the country apart yeah, completely. And you couldn't predict one day to the next what you were doing, where you were going to be. The Tory government of the day were trying to grind everybody down. So they were just chopping and changing. Mm. And I mean, Parliament is, because of the archaic rules, frankly, ridiculous and silly and unpredictable anyway. Throw Brexit into that. You just didn't know if you were coming or going. So you went from that. You know, I couldn't tell my partner at the time whether I was going to get home on a Thursday night or a Friday night or a Saturday night or at all to then just being at home all the time mm. and there was predictability we knew when we were going to speak we knew when there were questions so it was almost like oh look we can do things in a modern way we can do electronic yeah, right. voting we were able to vote from our phones we were able to you know take part in discussion and debate via zoom and still ask questions so that was tough mm-hmm. in some respects because you couldn't eyeball people but also it did mean that you were able to be at home. Mm-hmm. Now, I felt very fortunate. I had a job, I had a home, I had a salary. Mm-hmm. But the level, just the, the sheer volume of, of cases and, and people coming to us yeah. for help was just massive. So yeah, the pressure on the team was just huge. How big is your team? Four of us. Wow, that's not a lot of people. No, it's not. And we lost a member of our team as well in August last year to cancer. So yeah, that was I saw that the speech tough. that you did where yeah. you said you said goodbye to her through a window. And yeah, we huddled around her hospice window and, you know, and I thought about it and I thought, what would Michelle want me to do? Would she want me to raise this? And I thought, yeah, she'd absolutely want me to stick it to Boris Johnson. And you so did. that's why I did. <laughs> yeah, you did. You know, and she, she was, I was very hurt. much channeling her energy. But yeah, yeah it was a bit, but that, that, There'll be so many people who went through that. Oh, for sure. Or didn't even get to go to the window of their dying friend or loved one or, you know, go to their funeral. We at least got to say goodbye to her, but Mm. we weren't able to give her a hug. No. And that was so hard. I wish you were my MP. (laughs) Well, to be fair, you're moving to an area where you have got a fantastic MP. I do. I'm, yeah. Up the grains. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so we've talked a little bit. Can you give an idea? Because we've got loads of listeners overseas or people that maybe have never been to different parts of Scotland. What's Livingston like? I know you mentioned that there's like, uh, you know, about work and that people are employed. But what does it yeah. look like? What is it? What's the vibe other than the community spirit? So the vibe is... 
And where is it in Scotland? So it, Livingston is exactly, almost exactly halfway between Edinburgh and Glasgow. Right, okay. It, it's celebrating its 60th anniversary this year. So it was a new town. Okay. We had, I think, four or five new towns built in the early 60s, basically to accommodate the what they called at the time the Glasgow overspill. So people will remember post-war poverty, the yeah. poverty of the 50s and the 60s. People, people living in tenements? Tenements, slum conditions. Yeah. And they moved from those slum conditions out to Livingston to houses with front and back gardens, with indoor toilets. I suppose the epitome of aspiration, you could say. And a lot of it was old shale mining and coal mining villages. So my family were coal miners traditionally from West Lothian. But some of them moved out from Glasgow to West Lothian to this new ideal. So a lot of greenery and over the years has built up. We've got a big shopping centre. We've got a football team that's had mixed mixed results over the years. <laughs> um, we're really a big manufacturing base. Yeah. So we've had a lot of reinvention. So early contact lenses were developed in Livingston or contact lens technology. Ultrasound, early ultrasound oh, wow. was developed in Livingston. Yeah. Um, so we've been a kind of, behi- we're a kind of behind the scenes kind of crowd. Right, okay. We are, we are like the engine room of lots of businesses and organisations. And we're a place where a lot of people come to start out. So a lot of right. new businesses will come and start and then maybe move to a city. And similarly, folk are moving out to have cheaper housing. We've got good schools, we've got good housing. Right. I feel like I'm selling like a little it. advert for Livingston. Come to but, Livingston. <laughs> so when people would have been moved, I mean, obviously I know you weren't there. <laughs> You're only no, two, but my mum was. You're only two years older than me. <laughs> Just. When, um, when, you, when people would have been sort of living in those tenement buildings or, you know, slums, would they have been excited do you think to move to somewhere like Livingston or would it have been would that have felt very exciting and aspirational to to move so, to a house it wouldn't have been like oh we're being dragged away from where we know I suppose it's different for different I think people it would, right I think it would have been very mixed yeah. I think my certainly you've got to remember that there was a lot of displacement of people anyway because right, okay. of you know the minor strikes so yes. my granny moved from the west coast of Scotland because her father was striking Right. He had been a coal miner and she went into service in Glasgow um, at 14. You know, she left school at 14, went into service and it was her salary that kept the family going because wow. her father was out of work. When so. you say into service, you mean? Um, so she worked in domestic service. Yeah, that's what and I then, thought. Yeah, and then she was she became an apprentice tailor. She was a men's tailor. Oh, cool. I still have the last suit that she made. Um, and then she went into, during the war, went into the Rolls Royce, where a lot of people worked, and met my granddad, and then they got married. And when she went back to work, she was, as they said at the time, given her books. She was sent home, no job, because you couldn't work if you were a married woman. Yeah, you know what within, year would that have been, or around about what decade? God, so we'd have been talking then the fifties, late forties, early fifties. You think. couldn't work if you were a married woman. No, not then. No, that was there were certainly there. That was the rules, but it was very much a t- tradition well, and yeah, a cultural thing. Yeah, um, and so my mum was the first in the family to go to university, um, and she was an only child. Uh-huh. And my granddad was determined she was going to study law. She didn't want to. She, I don't think she really wanted to study law, but she went to Edinburgh and studied law and then became a social worker. So when I was first born, we lived actually in Muir House in Edinburgh, which is where many listeners will have seen the film Train Spotting. Yes. 
So train spotting is based and it's on on that area. Right. Okay. So I remember coming home in my teens. Choose life. Been, yeah. Choose life. Choose <laughs> Livy. <laughs> and saying to her, oh, "God, you've got to see this film, Mum. It was amazing. I mean, it was just so brutal and so stark." And she's like, "That's not entertainment. That was my life." Yeah. She had been a social worker and a probation officer during the heroin explosion and the HIV explosion of the eighties. Wow. Mm. That's at the front. Yeah. And she left when I was quite young, just a toddler, I think because it was quite dangerous and challenging, and set up a drug and alcohol project in West Lothian. And then we spent, yeah, the rest of our lives in that area. But then she stood for election. So Yes. Like mm. five years before you? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. So the twenty ten election, so People will remember Robin Cook, who was mm-hmm. a very famous politician, Scottish politician. Uh, he was the Foreign Secretary for a number of years. And he was our MP growing up. Under the Labour government? Under the Labour yeah. government, yeah. And very well respected, and he died very suddenly. And the guy that took over from him, a guy called Jim Devine, fiddled his expenses, had various issues, right. and did not kind of brought the area into disrepute shall we say so everybody had expected that we would take that seat at that election in 2010 and we didn't unfortunately um so by the time 2015 came along I think my mum had felt like she had done her bit and was it wasn't necessarily what she wanted to do right and there was four men standing for selection I was a bit late to the party so to speak for various reasons um but I did look at the lineup and I thought all great guys but you know, there's not really very much or any diversity and, you know, I'm a young working class and I wasn't out at that point. That's mm-hmm. a, another story, I suppose. And I thought, yeah, I'm going to put myself forward. Mm. Why not? I was 32 and so I got selected and then I got elected and I got to beat the man who was pretty dull <laughs> and not a particularly nice person uh, that beat my mum. And she that really have been was. Absolutely delighted. <laughs> yeah. Well, people would often say, oh, you know, your mum must be jealous. Now, you know, no, no, no. Not. She was, she'll always say that I succeeded where she failed. And that was a huge, a huge thing for our family because she brought us up on her own, you know, and she yeah. fought really hard for lots of causes in the community. And that's where I think my politics and my yeah. sense of community comes from was seeing her. Well, as you mentioned that you weren't out then, I know that you're now one of like 45 out MPs, I think, I know, something like that. I'm starting to lose count, there's so yeah, many Yeah, which is great. <laughs> the gayest parliament in the world, apparently. Um, oh, really? Yeah, That's I think so. I mean, not a massive surprise, is it, yeah. when you look at the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah. So let's go back to Livingston and you as, as a child. Was home a place where politics was discussed? Was it... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, very much. I mean, like, not just discussed... I mean, my mum would shout at the television. Right, okay. She'd be, you know... And and my grandparents were quite political as well, though my gran was always the kind of woman who was very quietly spoken. And the only time my mum said that she saw my gran get exercised um, was when Margaret Thatcher called the miners the enemy within and she was standing on the sofa shouting at the television. <laughs> and that was very unlike my gran. So, yeah, brought up in a very sort of socialist labour background. Yeah. Um, I remember when John Smith died and just the tragedy that it was. Mm-hmm. So my mum was, you know, very political with a small p as well in terms yeah. of local community. Yeah, right. She fought to save local schools, our local school. She got involved when there was no after-school club and no care for, you know, parents like her. Yeah. She 
worked with a group of women to apply for lottery funding to set it up right. and that gave employment and it made it meant that it was somewhere for kids to go after school yeah and for parents to be able to work yeah so you know that was something that I was very aware of and I suppose involved in I mean some of my earliest memories are of going to a protest against the schools being closed and making placards on the kitchen yeah, table <laughs> kitchen table so I suppose I was politicized from a, a young age but you say political with a small p but then you know it's kind of in a big with a big p in a way because that's yeah. actually the day to day that changes people's lives you know Sorry. a mum being able to have a job mm-hmm. and knowing that her kid's going to be safe and I'll pick him up at 5 and now I've earned an extra 2 hours cash Yep. And that's actually going to mean that we get, you know, the kitchen done or, you know, things that we need. A power or, to put in the... Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the money to put in the electricity meter. Exactly, like whatever those things are, it's it's what actually changes people's yeah. lives, isn't it? Yeah. And I think that's the thing that like we were saying before about the theatrics of, of you know, watching this government mm. and like... You know, it's the day-to-day of, like, those small changes that really improve people's life, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And you said that you weren't out, and I know that. from mm. our, uh, Hannah took me for a drink in the Commons once. It was very exciting. <laughs> um, <laughs> got to see lots of statues of old men. <laughs> I got to see lots of statues of old men and, you know, be in a different TV studio for a day. Uh, that's what it feels like. No, yeah. it was very... It was very strange. Very yeah. strange for someone. It makes sense. Like, I've been to like Eton um, and I've been to like Oxford and Cambridge and done gigs in those sorts of places and it makes perfect sense that people yeah. leave those places walk into the House of Commons and go it makes sense that I'm here yes. I walked in there and thought they're going to kick me out yeah. <laughs> like, am I wearing the right shoes <laughs> yeah absolutely you know it's designed to intimidate yeah it really is and it oozes privilege yes so when you decided to stand mm. I mean I was about to make an assumption that you were aware of your sexuality then. Uh, I won't make that assumption. Did you, were you, was it something that happened that you became aware of later in life? Was it something you knew about yourself as a teenager? Yeah, I mean, it's a, there's there's sort of different aspects to it for me. I think I probably, in retrospect, knew from quite young or mm. felt, felt it from quite young. Yeah, sure. And I think for me, it's tied up in my family background Mm -hmm. in the sense that where I went to primary school it was not unusual to be from a single parent family Mm -hmm. when I went to high school that felt a bit different and certainly all my close friends were from very traditional heteronormative families and and that's not a criticism that's just just a fact and they were all fabulous and lovely but I always got that sense of you know I'm different and I got that sense from a young age I think partly because we were growing up in the Thatcher era. Mm-hmm. Thatcher was section quite, twenty-eight. Section twenty-eight came into force the year I started primary school, mm-hmm. and Thatcher was hell bent on I think marginalising and attacking single single mothers. Right. You know, I mean, she yep. was on the record yep. was saying that they should be locked up in asylums. And, you know, you got heteronormativity rammed down your throat. I mean, you never saw any adverts. There was no representation in the media. And I have, I mean, my mum's got lots of gay friends. She was incredibly supportive when I came out. But for me, it was tied up in, I already felt different. Mm -hmm. I already knew, and I think I gave my mum a really hard time when I was younger about being from a single parent family. Where's my dad? Why is there not, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Because we got sent, I remember being sent home 
with a family tree to fill in. And it had two branches, one for your mum, one for your dad. And my mum was horrified. I mean, I remember her getting f- being furious and, you know, going up to the school and giving the head teacher a really hard time and saying, what are you doing? You're in a community where there are lots of children from single parent families. I cannot fill this in for my children. Why would you put us in that position? Mm. You know, what did I mean, the school I, say? Oh, I mean, I think they were pretty mortified and, I mean, probably pretty terrified of my mother as well. Your mum sounds brilliant. <laughs> oh, legend. Absolute but, legend status. You know, but and, and she, I was aware of just how hard she was working for us. Mm. But I think I, because society gave us as kids a hard time, I gave her a hard time. And I was already so different, I felt, mm-hmm. that I didn't want to be any more different. And the thought, and at that time, you know, all I wanted was to be normal, to get married and have kids. And now they, those were two things that were exclusively off limits mm-hmm. to people who were gay at that time. Yeah. You know, and I grew up feeling that and feeling, you know, sadly, just very much like, no, no, I've, I've, I've got to just you know, grin and bear it and find a man that'll do kind of thing. <laughs> you know, so when I did eventually come out, you know, it was a it was a mixture between, oh well that makes sense and what? You're you know, but you've had so many boyfriends and I was like, well, yeah, give nobody can say I didn't give it a good kick of the ball. Well <laughs> <laughs> folks said to me, How do you know you're gay? I was like, because I've tried really hard to be straight and it's not worked. <laughs> so was there a, like a specific moment where you had like a first crush where you were aware of a girl or was it so sort of pushed down I think I probably yeah I can probably track back and say oh you know at various points friends but I definitely had a big crush on a teacher at school right and I remember sure. that Classic. I remember that very very keenly and not really understanding those mm-hmm. feelings yep. and you know what was that about and then years later kind of thinking back and was like oh that was what it was. Trying and to then, stick around in the classroom for as long as possible. Yeah. Being really helpful. <laughs> I remember turning up with one of my friends to her house. Oh, like, wow. To give her flowers for her birthday or, you know. And, oh, bless her. She was so sweet. And she Have you so- read Rona Cameron's book? There's an amazing section in that about how much she loved this teacher. I don't how- think I have. I've met her a few times and yeah. she's incredible, but no, I haven't read her book, so There's I must. There's a bit about being in love with this teacher and I remember reading it not long after I'd come out and I thought, oh my God. Yeah. I've never related to anything more in a book, I thought. Yeah. All right, I need, I need to read You've got to read, read it, it's so good. And then it was, I think over the years, you know, I had diff- I could never quite square why some of my female friendships always felt much more intense than any relationship with mm-hmm. a guy. Yeah. And would have probably identified internally as bisexual for a long time. And then I remember I was living in Aberdeen and, I mean, I played football at university. There were, you know, what one might say, classic signs. Right, sure. <laughs> uh, occasionally played for the rugby team. You know, and, and I'm not saying that those things are necessarily markers. No, but, but you know, you know, cliches exist for a reason. Exactly, exactly. And over the years, it was really funny because different members of the fo- our football team sort of came out at various points of the years, and it was like there was only a few of us left. It's like Hannah, it's your turn. <laughs> yeah, it's like right, who's up next? <laughs> and um, and I, I remember signing up to those who are listening may remember Gadar. Yes. Yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> you got a message? Do you remember that? Yeah. Do, 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 do. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. And I signed up to Gaydar and uh, wrote my little profile, you know, bisexual in Aberdeen. And um, <laughs> and this woman that I knew through work 
and I was working at that time in politics for for a politician, and uh, knew her through that job. And she just sent me a really lovely message, just being like, oh, you know, it's lovely to see you on here. I didn't know. And I was like, oh, my God, I've been found out. Oh my! And I was convinced, genuinely convinced, it would be the end of my career. It would bring shame upon my party. Like, stuff that was just ridiculous. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, oh, back, back in the closet. <laughs> Shut the door, that's it. Shut the door. Delete any trace that might exist. And did you see that woman again? No, no. And and I just thought she was so sweet. She was obviously just trying to reach out and just be check in and say kind. hi. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And and it was I had two further sort of long term, I said longish term relationships with guys of about two two and a half years before I then finally came out. And I knew towards the end of. That second one, I was like, oh, I really need... I remember splitting up and thinking, well, I'm, I really need to deal with this. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, when I started to think about standing for election, I actually decided I was standing and then I undecided. And it was because I hadn't come out and because I didn't know how to deal with it. And then I kind of put myself back in the back in the ring. And I thought, well, I, if I can't be honest with myself about who I am, how am I going to possibly be honest with the electorate? And be a good politician mm-hmm. you know I felt yeah integrity and authenticity is really important so there was then a series of events and a, and a friend who became more than a friend mm-hmm. <laughs> and I fell in love with her and then just before the election she moved away and so I was kind of heartbroken and getting elected and trying to come out and there was just a lot going on. Yeah, wow, that is, <laughs> that's quite the And that's year. in the nutshell, that's sort of in a so, nutshell. at the point when you got elected, did your sort of friends and family know? Had you, had you come out to anyone? The only person I had come out to at that point was my brother. Right. And I didn't come out to my mum because she was heavily involved in my campaign and very stressed and working really hard. And I didn't want to put any more stress on her. And I knew she would be fine about it, but I just wanted to pick the right moment. Mm-hmm. And I also wanted to be in charge of it and not... And I knew if I got elected, there's... And, you know, I had worked behind the scenes in politics. That was part of the reason that it took me so long to decide whether I was going to stand, because I knew what was involved. Mm-hmm. And crossing that threshold from being behind the scenes to being out front is, yeah. you know, it's a big step. It's massive. And I was out of politics for five years. I went away and did other things mm-hmm. and and then came back to it. But I eventually sort of thought, right, I'll need to tell it at some point. <laughs> and it was probably the June, so we were elected in the May, and I was in London and quite... I, I had a really bad ear infection and had to go to hospital to get treatment and wasn't very well. And she's like, oh, I'm going to come to London. And I was like, no, no, you don't need to. And we're chatting on the phone. She's like, are you OK? She feels like there's something else going on. And I was like, mm, well... I was like, we need to have a chat, but I don't really want to do it on the phone. Oh, whatever it is, whatever it is, you can just tell me. And I was like, no, I'm really like, can no, just, just whatever. And she obviously knew. Oh, really? Oh, I think so. Okay. I think she'd known for a long time. Okay. And so eventually I was like, right, well, it's about my sexuality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, I'm pretty sure I'm gay. I mean, that's not a surprise. That's what she said to me. I was like, well, you could have told me. <laughs> it would have been really great if you'd given me the heads up. Because... Exactly. <laughs> thanks. Thanks. And then she said, I mean, I've often wondered about myself. <laughs> Get your mum on the series. Show next like, series. I'm sorry. What's that now? Um, what? And she's like, I mean, I'm not. 
I'm not, but you know, my mum had been on her own for a long time. I was like very confused. And then I think she was just trying to sort of assimilate. And it was just a really funny moment. And we've laughed about it a lot since then. And she'll probably kill me for saying that. <laughs> um, and I was like, what? No, 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 no. And then the next question, and, and, and but what about children? And I was like, mum, lesbians can have children as well. <laughs> They're always and it was worried awful. about the grandkids. Yeah. They're always worried about it. And she was, she was just like, I just want you to be happy. Yeah. I'm delighted for you. You know, what are you going to do in terms? Of, and we had lots of chats about it. And and so, how did you come out publicly? Was it something that like there had to be like lots of letters written about like, how we're going to do this? Was there like was there like a meeting or something? <laughs> I mean, kind of. I suppose it was like, you know, because folk are interested in your life and they yeah, want sure. to write about your life and stuff. And and also there was fifty six of us that got elected now. Sorry, when you say that, just for international listeners, what you're talking about, people from the Scottish National Party. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So for a very long time, there had only been six yeah. SNP MPs and there are 59 seats in Scotland and we won 56 of them. Yeah. So we went from six to 56 in Incredible. 2015, which was huge. It was a, it was a massive what? That must moment. have been a great night. Yeah, we'd had the... You know, we'd we'd lost the referendum mm-hmm. on Scottish independence in 2014. We were all devastated. People, I think, post that realised that they had been lied to yep. um, on a number of issues, and joined the SNP, got yep. behind the SNP, and yeah, and so it was a huge historic win. So there was all of that as well. Um, so yeah, there was a lot of focus on us, and I was very conscious of that. I also didn't want such a personal thing to be kind of the first Fodder. thing I talked about yeah well yeah oh, that right. too yeah. you know I just thought I kind of want to make my mark and people to get to know me for you know who I am in terms of the work I want to do mm-hmm. and the issues I'm interested in and I was still also coming to terms with it myself mm-hmm. like I I don't think I had quite you know kind of got my head around it um and I had been mentally and emotionally in quite a difficult place as well um so I thought I need to kind of process this before mm. I, you know, offer it up for public consumption. Yeah, right. And also, I questioned: Does I need to say anything? Mm-hmm. Is it not, anyone's business? Is it anyone's business? Are we not at the stage where people shouldn't have to come out anymore? And they were legitimate questions. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time thinking about it. I remember I had an amazing chat and kept in touch with Vicky Beeching. So mm-hmm. listeners might know Vicky is she was a Christian rock star. She yep. came out. She, you know. Her career was ended really yeah. over that, and she suffered a lot of online abuse. But she has consistently spoken up against conversion therapy, which she suffered. She wrote an amazing book about coming out, and you know she had done a sit down interview with Patrick Strudwick, the journalist, mm-hmm. which was iconic. Yeah, and she gave me a lot of really helpful advice, as did a number of other people. But ultimately, I thought, well, I mean, I've only been in the door five minutes. Nobody knows who I am. Am I really going to sit down with a journalist and be like, right, here I am. Yeah. The next lesbian. Do you know, I just thought, no, that's not what I want. So I just thought, I'll wait and I'll just, you know, look for a moment. And the following February, so, you know, no while later. while later, Chris Bryant, the Labour MP, was organising an, a photograph of all the LGBT MPs and members of the House of Lords. Queers and peers, he called it. Yeah, um, which was great. And there was a there was a couple of others that were coming out for the first time as well, or speaking openly about mm-hmm. their sexuality. So it was a kind of team effort, yeah. and that was really nice. You know, we all got together that day, and I just gave a little interview to a journalist after it. But I remember doing the interview, and I was so nervous. What am I going to say? All of this, and 
you know, we had a really nice chat and then at the end of it he asked me how I identified. And of all the things that I had thought about and prepared for, that was not one of them for some reason. So I was like, I mean, I'm a lesbian. I think I'm a lesbian. <laughs> Am I a lesbian? Yes, I'm a lesbian. It was just really... I mean, when I look back now and it's it's really funny. But I think I had to phone him back up to tell him that. I recollect of phoning him back up and saying... And I'm very proud as well, by the way. <laughs> you know, I was just so nervous about mm. it and didn't want to get it wrong. But ultimately I thought... Do you know what? I've got a position of significant privilege yeah. and power. Yeah. And I have a duty and a responsibility to be open about who I am. Mm-hmm. And like that's going to inspire kids and well adults and just people to know that we are everywhere. Yeah. Is yeah. important for, so. for, for everyone, whether you're part of the community or not. Mm-hmm. Or if indeed if you oppose us, yes. it's important to know that you're there. Well, exactly, and and I think I've had over the years now, and I'm I try to be careful. I remember my mum saying to me because obviously a lot of the organisations, the LGBT organisations, charities wanted me to do stuff with mm-hmm. them to speak yeah, on course. it, and you know, my mum sort of said to me, she was like, you know, you've got other things as well and other talents, and you've worked in lots of, you know, remember yeah. that, and I was like, yeah, I get that, I get that, and and that sounds silly, and I guess I feel sometimes I feel conflicted about that. Because I'm like, why shouldn't I speak about these issues? But then equally, I think we are still in a place where people, you know, I remember Chris Smith, who was the first male MP to come out as gay. He's now in the House of Lords saying the way he was treated after he came out, people saying things to him like, well, you would say that, wouldn't you? As if you can't speak with authority on LGBT issues because you're a gay man. Because you're one of them. Or you're a lesbian. Exactly. You've got a vested interest. It's like, mm. yeah, on people being able to just Be. have basic human rights and, and live their lives. Yeah. How dare I? Yeah. So, and I think with the tox- toxicity of particularly the trans. Yeah. I don't want, I hate calling it the trans debate, but but the discussion that's being had about trans and non-binary people's identities, um, you know, it is so important that those of us who are allies and those of us who are in the community use our platform and use our voice. Like, it's never been so important. Yeah. Since since the fight for equal marriage, since the yes. fight against, you know... It's our, it's our fight. It's it, our fight it is. now. Yeah, absolutely. All of us in the community. Um, and does the House of Commons... Does it feel like a homophobic place? Does it feel like... Like, when... I don't know, actually, whether many votes would have come up in your time of being there there's not been I mean there was the one on Northern Ireland yep on same sex same sex marriage marriage, and it was rolled up with abortion and it was very controversial Mm -hmm. Um, but I felt very strongly that you know of human rights the human rights of women or any or LGBT people or any minority community Mm -hmm. are being abused then we should be standing up against that and, and doing everything we can there haven't been no, there haven't been a huge number of, of, of votes um, since I was elected. But, you know, people fought for the rights that I have. I, you know, I came out after equal marriage. Yeah. And I remember when the Scottish Parliament passed it, when Westminster passed it, and how historic it was. Mm-hmm. In some ways it passed me by, I think, because I was still in the closet. Mm-hmm. And I was rejecting my own identity. But I understand how important, you know, those battles were. And... In terms of the Commons being a homophobic place, I mean, my experience when I came out was very positive. People broadly were incredibly kind and supportive, mm-hmm. both in the Commons and online, actually. Yeah. 
and that that meant a huge amount to me. Mm-hmm. That meant a huge amount to me. And, and I imagine I, with your constituents, they're just sort of more concerned that you know you're doing your job. You're turning up to vote. That you're yeah. there for your surgeries. That you're there to support them. I mean, really, your identity. I mean, it is. It does matter because the number of constituents who I have who've come to me and, and spoken about their own either sexuality or gender identity or that they've got a child or a grandchild right, sure. or a family member and that it does matter to them. But I do remember the headline in my local paper, which was, local MP comes out as gay. <laughs> Have you still got that paper? I've still got it. Good. Yeah. You should frame it. Yeah, I should. I should, actually. You should frame it. I moved, I moved office recently, so yeah, I should. But yeah, I mean, I think it's more, in, on, in all honesty, more misogynistic yes. and sexist. That was going to be my next question. Because I got elected in 2015 and we were still in the, the grim place that there were more men in that sitting than had ever been women elected to the House of Commons in yeah. the nearly 100 years that you know women had had to vote. So that I think that in itself spe- speaks volumes yeah. about how far we have to go. And you just need to walk around the Commons to... Oh, it's very you know, male. Very male. It's so male. And that matters. Mm-hmm. You know, the environment in which you, now more than ever we understand that about you know the built environment, the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know we're facing each other in the chamber. It's so gladiatorial, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very gladiatorial. Does it feel? You know, when you speak, like obviously your your maiden speech must have been quite nerve wracking. But now, do you get do you get nervous or are you like pumped? I think it's a bit of both. I right. think I still get nervous and it depends whether it's a question or a speech, how well prepared I am. Yeah. But I still definitely get a little bit. And if you don't get nervous, then I think... Get out of the job. Yeah. <laughs> there's something, there's an arrogance there that's... And there's a lot of arrogance around. Oh, yeah. I imagine there's a lot of them that don't get nervous. But I think it's the same with any kind of performance, I think. Not that I'm saying that what you do is a performance. We were mentioned no, before that there's a performative element to being in the Commons. Um, but I think as soon as you don't get nervous, mm. like I think if I stopped getting nervous about stand-up, I should give up. Because <laughs> it means that I don't care that people have paid. Yeah. You know, like I'm, I want people, I want to give people a great night. Absolutely. And I you want, do, frequently. Well, listen, <laughs> occasionally. Um, but I think that is a really important point. So people... I think particularly those who have come from a certain background, mm-hmm. who've come through mm-hmm. Eton and Oxford and Cambridge yep. and just basically come through the same system, um, don't necessarily understand the privileged position that they have and they take it for granted and they abuse it. Mm-hmm. Not everybody. No, of course. But, but there is a distinct flavour mm-hmm. to um, a certain breed of those who, who come through in a certain type of behaviour that, you know, we, we see quite regularly. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, and it poisons our politics, in my mm-hmm. view, because power and the influence and privilege we have is a gift. It's given to us by our constituents who vote for us. And if you start taking that for granted and you stop remembering who put you there and that you're there to serve, you're mm-hmm. a public servant at the end of the day, then that becomes very problematic. And the system, in my view, the Westminster system particularly has has protection for those who misbehave and abuse the system baked in. And we're starting to unpick that. You know, you had the expenses scandal in 2010. You've had various scandals over the years. I mean, you know, alcohol is served in working hours. Yeah. I just think that's ridiculous. 
and that is something that you know we've had obviously various issues recently with MPs you know there's a number of MPs on the Conservative benches have gone to jail for sexual crimes against staff against family members I mean it's horrific against minors against minors so you know you that comes from a culture and that makes our politics in my view more dangerous and it makes our jobs more dangerous my partner sleeps with a panic button next to her left ear you know in bed and that i am not saying no there there is a relation between the two yeah you know it might be subtle it might be you know between the lines but i mean two mps have been exactly killed in cold blood doing their jobs yeah doing advice surgeries and you know was there a change in westminster when that obviously it's happened twice but was there a like are mps frightened are there is is there any honestly i mean i think joe cox's murder was so i mean indescribably horrific because Mm -hmm. nothing like that had ever happened really Mm -hmm. um i mean it had i mean uh, we had had mps attacked and a staff member killed and I think people's memories are short sometimes. That that was not that long ago, I think in the 90s or the early mm-hmm. 2000s. You know, but it was just seemed so horrific and you and you just thought, oh goodness, things have got to change. You know, we did get diff- a new level of security, personal security. But then it was almost like sort of back to normal. And then Sir David's murder was, you know, again, just something so shocking. Yeah. And personally I felt it because I knew him Mm. you know I had done work with him lots of things we disagreed on but we worked together on endometriosis but but there was a journalist that said to me you know the most shocking thing about it was it wasn't that shocking and I thought god Mm -hmm. actually you're right yeah and at his funeral which I found deeply distressing I had a Conservative MP behind me who was like trying to console me because I got really upset and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, well, not really. This is terrific. I can't I can't believe that this is where we are in our politics. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, and, and, and more of us are going to die. And I mean, that was his words to me. And I was just like, I'm sorry, what? And I just, and he said it in quite an offhand way and I just thought, I was so shocked by that. Mm. And it's, I, I mean... I believe it's so important to stay in it because we need diversity and we but mm. my brother and my partner and my mum all said to me you know really you know do you not want to rethink this and I've definitely that's crossed my mind but I feel so strongly that you know we yeah. need different voices so I want to stay but I've had death threats and you know various things oh but nothing in comparison to what other female MPs have had. Yeah. So that just gives you an idea of how Horrific how awful it can be. It can be. And it's become normalised. And that's really scary. Yeah. Cheery, sorry. No, <laughs> no, I think it's really important to talk about because I think often when we talk about extreme politics, the in this country, I think so often we start going, oh, like QAnon, America, the white supremacy there like I think so often we make it about something that is so far away from us because that's a really comfortable place for it to be Mm -hmm. but I think it's really important to you know I've never spoken to you about that and of course you would feel you know it's creeping in here yeah it's creeping in here 
Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. Through social media. Yeah. Through just the tone of some of the debate in politics, the misinformation. Yeah, the misinformation is a real issue. It's a huge issue and we are not keeping up from a parliamentary and you know legislation is always lagging yeah. you know things happen we try you, know. you have to you respond and Westminster's so far in the dark ages that it really is not equipped really not equipped and that's that I think that that worries me a huge amount um but so does the way that the current government are behaving you have a prime minister that for the first time you know has has broken the law he's been issued with a fine he lied to the queen lied to the queen he I mean, I'm not is. a royalist, but I mean, the first one ever. I mean, like... Yeah. I mean, I, indeed, I am the royal sailor. Of course. <laughs> but, I, but I respect the Queen, and I think, how, course, can, yeah, how, can you, how can you breathe the same air as the woman when, you have, her, when yeah. you have lied to her? And Lies I, on Brexit, you know, the the food crisis. I mean, the list is... people to Rwanda, you know... The, the list is endless. The dehumanisation of any minority group and the othering of people. That's what it comes down to, and that is, it's scary. Yeah. Because I, I mean, I had no plans to go into chatting about this, but I'm just interested in your opinion, mm. and I feel like our listeners might be too. But with, you know, mentioning America, obviously in the last few weeks, there's been the overturn of Roe versus Wade. Yeah. And then there's been lots of conversation about the fact that that might then unpick other hard, hard-fought mm. rights um, like equal marriage, like you know, well, some of these things are already or, being unpacked. You know, do you think there's a chance? Don't that, say gay. Yeah, they don't say gay bill in Florida. Mm-hmm. Do, do you worry that those things might seep in over here? I think they already are. I think they already are. I think that the the attack on trans rights. Yeah. Um, it, there's an there's an underlying of homophobia. It's, it's all mixed in together, right? Absolutely, and a lot of the groups that are involved in that are being funded from the US. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. don't think that people realise that. Yeah. And I think Yeah, it's like is... sort of the Christian Bible belt, isn't it? Yep. That's funding a lot of the Indeed. Angry. Yep. And the anti abortion. <laughs> yeah. And it's so I think it is seeping in and we need to be very alert and alive to it. Yeah, vigilant. Yeah. Could it seep into government? Well, I mean I mean I it probably it... already has. Right. I definitely think it has. And and I find that, you know, the Conservatives have, you know, a member who has, you know, expressed their gender identity. Yeah. That they want to be, or are a trans person. And yesterday, at Prime Minister's Questions, the Prime Minister made a quip about what a woman is. Mm-hmm. And you just think, are you serious? Like, that's the level to which you will stoop. You will make jokes about people's identity and you have someone on your benches who is trans and who has suffered horrific abuse. Yeah. Blackmail, you know. And you just yeah, think, really. Goodness me. Really? <laughs> but that is how unashamed he is. He is. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I'm no Tory, but it makes, it makes you assume that all Conservatives... And they're not. Of course, there are, because there are absolutely decent conservatives and those who, you know, of course, all of us have friends and colleagues who we respect across the house. Well, that's the thing. I know when I spoke and we to, work with <laughs> when I spoke to Lord Michael Cashman mm-hmm. for this show, you know, he spoke a lot about how important cross party politics is. But it, 
does it feel like at the moment like you know grabbing that hand across the chamber is harder than ever because I think it, it doesn't necessarily feel that it's harder than ever it feels like it's going to have less of an impact on what the government because the government and those in power are going to do what they want to do regardless mm. That they don't have regard, that Boris Johnson and those close to him don't have regard for the rule of law, for human rights, um, and for fellow human beings. That it's a very right wing agenda. I mean, yeah, I despair. Yes, but I think if people can be convinced in one direction and influenced by misinformation, they can also be influenced by the truth. Mm-hmm. And we have had a lot of success. And, you know, you think about in the south of Ireland where abortion law was reformed, the constitution was reformed. Mm-hmm. Um, in Scotland, we're bringing forward a reform to the Gender Recognition Act. And my hope is very much that it will pass. Mm-hmm. We are you know, making changes and and there will have to be an election by the end of 2024. Mm-hmm. So even if, you know, Boris is daft enough to try and call one this year, that will be people's opportunity mm-hmm. to stand up and say, no, we do not want this. Yeah. And, and the Conservatives need to also find a backbone and try and get rid of them. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's tough stuff, but it's tough equally, stuff, but it's important. It like, is important. It's, it's really important. And it does feel, I think, sometimes you can get so caught up in the kind of melee and the kind of day-to-day nonsense of Parliament and then sometimes you stop and you remember. And I think, you know, this is definitely one of those moments where you you do take time to reflect and there isn't always much time to reflect. Mm. And I think that that's, that can be tough in the job. So it's, it's really lovely to get that opportunity right. to stop and think, yeah, do you know what? There is so much good that can be done. Mm. And politics and being a politician is one of the best jobs in the world. Absolutely, without a shadow of a doubt. I've worked in lots of different areas of work and society and there is nothing like being able to help people and change their lives for the better. Well, I know you um, you shared a story on your social media last week about... Mm-hmm bringing a Ukrainian family to Livingston yeah, and getting them settled in Livingston. Mm-hmm. And was it that uh, a family had pay, had rented a house? Yeah, so there was, we had two different families that came within a short period of time. One, their sister was already here yeah, and we were trying to get... Living in Livingston. Living, living in, yeah, living in Livingston. So did she come to you? Yeah, she say, came to me? us. Yeah, she came to us and said, I'm trying to get my sister here... Um, they were in Lviv, I think, at that point. Um, I, you know, I, I think that that because we've had we've had so many actually, mm. and it shouldn't have been this hard. That's the other thing that gets yeah. frustrating is it's like, for goodness sake, why are you making this so difficult for people? But nonetheless, there we were, and so she was trying to get her sister and her sister's children here, and the paperwork was endless, mm. and there was just there was various issues. Um, so eventually we, 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 we got that sorted. There was then another case and a family had rented a house and it was uh, the wife of this couple and she had been at university and it was one of her university friends and they, we were on phone to the Home Office for ages 
told that the visas were coming then it turned out that they weren't and it was, uh, it was one of those yeah really really difficult we eventually got them and they got here and I mean such incredible kindness and generosity um, but it was the family who their sister was already here and so I took the, the four of them to the football to, to, to see Livingston lose to Motherwell um, and, and not make it into the top six but they, they had a great time but they were obviously deeply traumatised and are now trying to make a life from them, for themselves um, in, in Scotland and in Livingston When you do stuff like that though you must go to bed and think I've it's done something it. Absolutely, that you're changing people's lives. Yeah, absolutely, and and that's it's impossible to describe how that feels. Mm. And you're just doing your job at the end of the day. You're just doing what you're paid to do. But you are. It but means... it takes a lot of courage to do it. It really does. <laughs> I think it takes a lot of courage, and I think being out as well in such a misogynistic place. I think you're an inspiration, mate. I really do. Oh, that's really kind. Thank you. <laughs> No, I mean it's it's had its moments certainly, and and you know I got quite a lot of abuse after taking on a member of the House of Lords who was really horrible to a member of staff, and mm. I had witnessed Lord McGuinness being incredibly rude, and so called him out in the chamber, which you're not actually supposed to do. There are two rules I discovered recently that you're not you're not allowed to name a member of the House of Lords without giving them prior notice and you're not allowed to talk about the royal family. Hence there's been no chat about Prince Andrew and his behaviour. Um, so I did call him out Lord McGuinness because I thought, well, I don't want to incriminate everybody in the House of Lords, no. all 850 of them, because um, there's, you know, the odd decent one. Yeah, yeah, and, we know. I think yeah. we know a decent, a couple of decent ones. Yeah, and he'd been so horrible to this. St- I mean, this is, you know, more than two years ago. And he then made um, homophobic comments about me in the, in the press, derogatory comments. It was referred to the police. It was investigated by the police. It wasn't taken on as a case. But... It was investigated by the parliamentary authorities and I am waiting for... Well, they they deemed it so serious that he had to do remedial training and if he didn't do that remedial training, he would be removed. And he said two years to do it. I mean, I don't know any other employment where you would get two years to remediate, but um, yeah, and he said publicly he wouldn't do it. So if, if he is removed, it will be the first time in history, as I understand it, that a member of the House of Lords has been forcibly removed because there wasn't ever a process which was crazy so people would go to jail for all sorts of terrible things and then come out and still be a lord absolutely absolutely this place (laughs) indeed these are the people making your laws folks um but after that was in the media i got i got a few pretty awful um, death i got one particular one it was a handwritten death threat and that was that was like yeah something that I'd never received before and was really, really unpleasant. Mm, that's really frightening. Mm. And that's the price of speaking up, apparently. And that that's difficult to stomach. Did you regret it? No. No, but it has made me think about how I use my voice. Because, yeah, sometimes if you don't quite say the right thing in the right moment, it can... That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Yeah. It's also Twitter. You know, oh, Twitter, Twitter can be hell. so toxic. Twitter's hell. As my dear friend Tom Allen says, Twitter is full of the type of people that would have gone to public hangings. <laughs> that is a very good assessment. 
Tom yep. Allen's line, not mine. Yeah. He's absolutely right. Twitter. Yep. Legendary. Yeah. It's full of people that would go to Yeah, people hangings. that would just sit and, you know, discuss their bigoted, yep. you know, homophobic, et cetera, opinions. And 100%. all of a sudden they've got a platform. Yeah, it's insane. <laughs> it's a horrible Best place. avoided. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't play there anymore. Um, now... We, uh, you know, the final final question that I ask, and I guess I'm thinking about the version of you, maybe not as a teenager, which I often say, maybe the version of you when you'd just been elected mm. and you weren't yet out and you, you know, were working out how to navigate not only being a member of parliament mm. and everything that comes with that, but... Uh, navigating your identity and who you were and how you I don't know uh, told people that how you let your constituents know that um, if you could reach out to her <laughs> and give her a bit of advice or maybe someone in a similar position I don't know if there's any MPs listening that are about to come out but there could be <laughs> there could be um, what would you say oh, that's such it's such a good question and I've, I've thought about this a lot um, I mean I'm not I'm not sure I would do anything too differently. Um, I think I would just reiterate and remind people, you know, that being yourself and and being open about who you are it can be so liberating. Mm. Because I think back to the years, I think particularly I remember being in my late 20s, and being in some terrible relationships with people mm. that were really unsuitable, not just because they were guys, but <laughs> you know, I had clearly picked people that were unsuitable because I knew that it wasn't gonna because I didn't because it wasn't gonna go anywhere. And that that sort of strange counterintuitive thing mm. that you that apparently after quite a lot of counselling I understand is a fairly common behaviour, mm. but the pain and suffering emotionally that came from that. And I would, I, in some ways I wish I'd done it sooner and I have I've spoken about this before you know that sense of you're mourning for something that you missed out on and for kind of time lost that you can't get back now I wouldn't change it because I'm incredibly happy now and I'm engaged to an incredible woman and I'm really you know in a, in a good place in that regard but and I might not have met her and had that journey mm-hmm. if I'd come out earlier but you can't, I, I do know people who've been even, you know, older and have come out later and have really felt that keenly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess my advice is always, you know, you have to do it in your own time and you have to embrace, you know, sort of the culture and the the, the people in, in the LGBT community who are incredible. And... I would what I would like to just point out and say for a second a mutual friend of ours, Linda Riley, mm. who was there for me when I first came out and introduced me to a lot of people and made my coming out a lot of fun, mm. actually. Yeah, and I came out obviously with the privilege of being an elected representative and the protection of that as well. But I didn't know where to go or what to do or do you know what I mean it's mm-hmm. like it's like you know you don't wake up one day and you're like right ready to go know what I'm doing <laughs> you know this way to Soho that's not how it works and she gave me a lot of support and introduced me to a lot of amazing people um but I think my advice is <laughs> to my to my slightly younger self <laughs> would just be 
just get up every day and do your very best to be yourself and don't let other people tell you who you should be um, or or what you should do you know go with your gut perfect that's perfect <laughs> thanks mate oh I loved that chat so much I think she is such a force for good in the world and I love her and I hope that you do too and I'm so excited to see sort of where her career goes and yeah who knows what she does next or if she stays in politics I just think she's brilliant thank you for listening I mentioned before but it really does mean so much to me that so many people listen to this show every week and I'll be back next week I've got a few more episodes in this series before we'll have another little break and then I'll come back in the autumn the final episode of the series I think is going to be quite an exciting one and I'm really excited to share it also oh I know this bit's a bit pluggity plug 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 but um my Amazon special is on Amazon as you'd imagine and um please watch it I hope that you enjoy it I've had loads and loads and loads of messages uh, saying about how many people enjoyed it I've also had a message from one of our American listeners Lauren who said that you you can watch it in America using a VPN but I'm probably not allowed to tell you that so I haven't okay I haven't told you that um but I wouldn't be able to understand how to do all of that anyway if you want to watch it you can and please um please like and subscribe to this podcast and also listen to like-minded friends if you're looking for something else to listen to okay bye bye